everybody. I want to welcome to our pulpit today, Brother Bobby Duncan. When Holly and I first got in the ministry, we became very good friends with a couple named Scott and Jenny Duncan, who happens to be Bobby and Sandra's son and daughter-in-law. And this was many years ago in Virginia, just became great friends. And when we moved to Cincinnati area, the first time we went to camp meeting, we met uh, Brother Bobby and Sandra and, and then realized the connection there. So um, I'm just so tickled to have him here with us today. Let me just tell you a few things about him. He's a native of Mississippi, uh, over 50 years ministerial experience. Matter of fact, he began preaching at the age of 15 in 1965 in Mississippi. That's right, folks. We're talking about Elvis Presley times. That's right. Over eight years as state youth director in New Mexico and Mississippi. Uh, he's pastored for 37 years. Check this out in Mississippi, New Mexico, Nebraska, Colorado, and Ohio. Most recently, he pastored for 21 years in the Cleveland, Ohio area. Then he was appointed by the state overseer for one month to Mansfield, wound up being there for two and a half years. Uh, he's been a guest speaker and Bible teacher in all kinds of state meetings and prayer conferences. Check out the places that he's ministered to other ministers in the Church of God, Montana, Southern New England, New Jersey, Quebec, Alaska, Arizona, Texas, Western North Carolina. He's authored 11 books, co-authored two books. He is now an, an executive liaison in the state office and he is a wonderful, wonderful guy. You're gonna love him down to earth, personable. I just love him and Miss Sandra. Uh, they've been a blessing to Holly and I since we've been here. So. If you would, put your hands together and welcome Brother Bobby Duncan. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Dallas Halbert, for that introduction. I had to look around to see who he was talking about. But I do, thank you, I do appreciate his kind words so much. And what a delight to be with you here at Central Parkway, now Bridge of Hope. Yesterday afternoon, we were driving down, and Bishop Martin gave us a call and, and said, be sure and tell those good people hello for us. He said, we love that church. Well, Central Parkway was his home. Not only that, he spent the biggest part of 14 years as pastor. And he and Rochelle and Sandra and I got to know each other a long time ago and became dearest, dearest friends. And in the process, heard so much about Central Parkway and about Bridge of Hope. And so for Sandra and me to be with you this morning is, or this afternoon rather, is a delight beyond description. And you all made us feel so welcome. We got to meet a number of people. And everybody we talked to, so warm and so friendly, it just seemed like we've been here before. And isn't that a good feeling? And that's the way it ought to be. And you've made us so welcome, and, and we greatly, greatly appreciate that. And we love and appreciate Pastor, Pastor Dallas and Holly. They are choice servants of the Lord and dear friends to our son and his wife, as he said. And for the last little while, our friends, too. And it's been a privilege to get to know them. And a delight to be with you. Thank you for letting us join you for this worship service. Enjoyed the music. I believe this music team so ably led us.
to the throne of God in worship. And thank you so much, musicians and singers, for that. On March the 24th, 1820, Francis Crosby, better known as Fanny Crosby, was born. At age six weeks, she became blind because of an eye infection and perhaps because of ignorant and unwitting medical practices. Within a year, her father passed away. She was raised by her mother and her maternal grandmother, who were devout Christians and who instilled in Crosby a deep abiding faith in God, a desire for Christian service, and a love for God's Word. At age 10, she began memorizing five chapters in the Bible every week. By the time she reached 15, she had memorized the four Gospels, the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, all the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many of the Psalms. She had a sharp, a sharp mind. She penned over 8,000 hymns, even though she only started writing songs in middle age. She also published four books of poetry. She wrote over a thousand secular songs. She was known as the queen of gospel writers and the mother of modern congregational singing in America. In addition to all of those accomplishments, she wrote two best-selling autobiographies and composed five cantatas. We recall some of her songs today. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Or I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice as it spoke thy love to me. And this most treasured, beloved hymn, which is a personal testimony of her salvation, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You see, that's what the psalmist gives us in Psalm 46, beginning with the first verse. He gives us blessed assurance. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Hallelujah. There is a river. 
the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. Her meaning his people. Her meaning his church. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. Now, don't you like that right early part? The psalmist, on more than one occasion, the psalmist David prayed, Oh, Lord, hear me speedily. I can identify with that. Now, granted, God doesn't always answer our prayers in the time frame we would like for Him to. And when He chooses not to, there's a, there's a reason for it. But yet we are told that God is in the midst of His people and that He will help us and that right early. Blessed assurance. I would like to highlight four assurances that God gives us in His Word in the next few minutes. Four assurances. First of all, we have the assurance of His presence. Second, we have the assurance of His protection. Third, we have the assurance of His provision. And last, we have the assurance of His power. First, the assurance of His presence. Moses had just led Israel from Egypt, perhaps a million strong, some tell us even two million, across the Red Sea into the wilderness where they immediately begin to grumble and complain. Didn't take long. As soon as they were separated from their plentiful food source, they began complaining. At Mount Sinai, Moses went to the top of the mountain to receive the law from the Lord, only to return and find Israel worshiping around the golden calf. He prayed an intercessory prayer for them when God threatened to blot their name out of the book. And in Exodus chapter 33, he prayed to God for grace and for guidance and for strength. And here's what the Lord said to him. My presence shall go with you. Moses responded in so many words, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, then we don't want to go. Now, we know that God is present everywhere. We believe in, in the omnipresent God. That is, He fills all eternity. He fills all time. He fills all space. You can't go anywhere where God is not. He is ubiquitous. The omnipresent God. So what does He mean when He says, My presence shall go with you? Considering that you can go no place where his presence does not already fill the place, what he means is a very personal, 
a very intimate presence. We realize it more today under the new covenant through Jesus Christ our Savior. Remember that Jesus promised his disciples, when I go away, I'll pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter whom the world cannot receive. He'll not speak of himself. He will speak of me in so many words, Jesus said. And he will not only be with you, but he shall be in you. You see, the presence of the Lord goes with his children because that personal presence of God is within us. Now, God's presence is in this place this morning because we're in this place. His personal presence is here because we are here. But we don't have to get to church to feel His presence. We don't have to get to a sanctuary to worship. If we did, then I'm afraid we would be left out during those times when a snowstorm hit. And we couldn't get to church. In John chapter 4, Jesus talked to the woman of Samaria. And she said to him, well, you tell us that you're supposed to worship and we all should worship at Mount Zion. And our fathers tell us we're to worship in Mount Gerizim. So she could have said, and this is what she intimated, that I'm a little bit confused. Jesus said, oh, listen, the place, the time is coming when the place won't be important. No, because the Lord, my Father, is looking for people to worship Him in truth. For they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we worship God while we're driving down the highway. We can worship the Lord at home. And yes, it's a beautiful thing for the body to come together like we have this afternoon and to to give praise and worship to God through song and through the Word and through fellowship. But the Lord said to Moses, I'm going with you. And we, along with Moses, say to the Lord, God, if your presence does not abide within us and if your presence does not lead us, then Lord, we don't want to go. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 139 said, Whither shall I go from the Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from His presence? If I ascend up into heaven, He is there. He said, If I make my bed in in hell, He's there. If I take the wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the deep or the sea. There His hand is upon me and shall lead me and His right hand shall be upon me. Listen, saints, we have in a troubled time, we have the presence of God abiding with us. And there is no need to fear for God is with us and greater is He that is within us than He that is in the world. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. 
When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. You won't be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I'll not leave you to yourself. Jesus, in his final commission, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Mark also records it in Mark chapter 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature as I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The Lord has said to us that I will not leave you nor forsake you. You can count on that. David cried out when my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And the Lord will be with me. And the Lord will guide me. His presence is real. And it's here within us. And being within us, it's within this congregation. And how sweet it is to come together as individual believers into one body and enjoy the fellowship in God's presence. Oh, the blessed assurance of His presence. We have the assurance of His protection. Psalm chapter 37, uh, 34, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord encampeth about them that fear Him and delivers them. Perhaps the better translation is the angels. The angels of the Lord encamp about God's children and brings deliverance to them. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who are heirs of salvation. Now, I can't, I can't see in the spirit world no better than you can. What I'm looking at this afternoon are human beings, people living in mortal bodies. I see the way you're dressed. I see your smiles. I, I see your attentiveness. But I can't see within the spirit world to even conceive of the angels in this place around you and around me. But they're there. I believe that that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us. And they are constantly with us and abiding with us. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria, the king of Syria had tried to entrap the king of Israel on, the Bible says, not once or twice, which means three times or more. He tried to entrap the king. He planned in his secret chambers, he put together a military strategy, if you please, and laid an ambush. And every time he did, the king of Israel knew about it in advance. And the king of Syria became quite concerned, as you can understand. The writer said he called his servants together. I'm assuming that, of course, included 
his military strategists, and here's what he said to them. He said, something's wrong. Something is amiss. Which one of us is for the king of Israel? Now think about that. Which one of us is for the king of Israel? What he, what he was really saying is which one of us is a spy? Which one of you guys are taking our discussions and this highly classified information and passing it along to the king of Israel? One of the servants spoke up. And here's what he said. He said, King, not one of us is for the king of Israel. And I'll use my interpretation here. He said, let me tell you really what's happening. There is a prophet of the God of Israel whose God is revealing to him our secrets. Elisha. And Elisha is going and telling the king. But no spy here. But the prophet of God is getting word from his God. Isn't that amazing? Satan can know all the plans, lay all the strategies he wants to. God's on top of it all. You can be sure of that. God understands it all. There's much I don't understand in this life. I don't understand why some things happen the way they do. Because they don't always make sense to people like us. But we know this, God knows the plans the enemy has laid for us. And he's more than prepared to deal with it. The king of Syria said, well, let's do something about that. Where is he? And the answer was, he's in Dothan. The king of Syria amassed his army chariots and horses and horsemen. And he sent them in mass, in mass to surround the city of Dothan. But wouldn't you know it, the following morning, Elisha's servant awakened. And he looked around and he saw the host of Syria encamped around Dothan. And I see that he awakened Elisha. The scripture does not say that, but does say that the servant arose early. But it does say that he talked to Elisha. And he said, would you look around and see what is surrounding us? Elisha, Elisha, I don't think his heart beat one bit faster. There was absolutely no concern in him over what seemed to be a possible catastrophe. Here's what he said. Fear not. Fear not. How many times in Scripture do we hear those words? Maybe somebody has counted them. I'm sure somebody has. But I know we read them often. Jesus spoke these words again and again. Elisha says, Fear not, servant, because they that are for us are more than they that are for them. 
or if you please, they that are for us are more than they that be against us. I don't care how strong the enemy may appear today. I don't care how he shows his ugly face. It makes no difference because greater is he that is within us. Isn't that a blessed assurance that the Lord says to us, as Elisha said, look around and see that the forces that are on your side, the forces that are fighting for you, the forces that are watching out for you, the forces that are doing good for you are much greater than the forces of the enemy. Can you say praise the Lord and give God a hand clap of praise? The psalmist David said it this way in Psalm chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my foes, mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me. And this will I be confident. Though an host should encamp against me, when Elisha said to his servant, don't be afraid because they that are for us are more than they that be against us. He prayed that his eyes would be opened so that he could see what Elisha saw, what Elisha knew was there, and God chose to pull back the curtain. And when he pulled back the veil, behold, around the encampment of the Syrian army was the host of heaven, the chariots of fire that God had had deployed to surround the enemy. And hear me, saints of God, when the strongholds of the enemy rise up against us and encamp against us, the host of heaven, the fiery chariots of heaven are sent by God to surround His people. And this will I be confident, the psalmist said. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He hides me in His pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Satan has built strongholds against our nation. Satan has built strongholds and encampments around our cities. He has built encampments around our churches and around our families. 
But I pray that the Lord would pull back the veil so that we could spiritually see that the host of heaven has surrounded every one of those encampments. And I declare unto you that they that are for us are far more than they that be against us. Thank the Lord. Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust and his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Church, we're on the winning side. We know that. And God has given us the blessed assurance of his presence and the blessed assurance of his protection. Now listen to me. This protection of God does not mean necessarily that he will keep us from sadness and sorrow and from pain and suffering, and from death. Because we're told that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. I live in a mortal body. I feel pretty good. I'm in pretty good health to be whatever I am. But I'm, but I'm not what I was when I was 30. You can guess by looking at the color of my hair. I don't feel like running a foot race any longer or competing in sports. Well, let me take that back. I feel like it here. I think sometimes I can still do it if I just had a chance. But on those few occasions when I have the chance, it hits me real quickly. You just don't have it anymore. It's not there. We are dying. From the moment we were born, we began dying. We know that. But yes, sometimes God divinely intervenes and grants us physical protection. I believe that. God has, has protected us at times we didn't even realize He was working a miracle for us. But ultimately, we're still mortal. We believe in divine healing. We pray for divine healing, and God continues to heal. But we will experience sickness again until the perfect healing comes. What this protection especially means is the protection from Satan, from sin, from his evil devices. We are assured that Satan cannot defeat us because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds or the walls as we sang a little bit earlier. God preserves His people. We have the blessed assurance of His provision. And there is one verse in Philippians, and you know it well. Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
our Lord. One of the most beautiful examples of that is in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah announces three and a half years of famine in the land. And then God sends him to the brook of Kirith. And there for a period of time he drinks from the sparkling water. And God in his grace and goodness prepares ravens to fly food, meat, and bread to him twice a day. God provided an airlift for Elijah. And in the morning when he awakened, he had meat and bread. The evening time, here came the second airlift, meat and bread. Every day, clear, sparkling water. And when I said clear, sparkling water, I thought of this video that we just saw. And I, Sandra and I have been in some third world countries. and we, We've seen this to some degree. And I commend you for what you're doing for such noble causes. And God richly bless you for that. Elijah had the sparkling water every morning, but the day came when the as we would say down south, the creek ran dry. No more water. And when the water stopped flowing, then the ravens stopped bringing food. But know this, if God stops the airlift, if God stops providing in one way, He will begin providing in another way. And He said to Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath because I have prepared a widow woman for you and she'll sustain you. I'm going to be honest with you. From the human perspective, this absolutely makes no sense. You think about it. I'm sure that there were wealthy people in Israel who had stored up plenty, hearing the prophecy that there would be a famine in the land. Not everybody was as destitute as this widow lady was. What makes no sense, according to human logic, is why would God send a needy prophet to a needy widow to be sustained? Think about that. He sends Elisha to a woman. By the time he arrives, she's gathering sticks so she can build a fire and use her last bit of meal from the barrel and her last bit of oil from the cruise to bake one more cake of bread so that she and her son could partake of one final meal and die. That's what she told the prophet. It's, isn't it amazing that God would send a needy person to another needy person? What a message in giving this is. That we are to give to the Lord not out of our plenty, but out of our own need. And when we do, and you've done that, you've done that over and over again. And every time you've done that, you've seen how God has poured blessings back into you. You see, God wanted to bless two people. He wanted to provide for Elisha 
And he wanted to bless this widow lady for being sacrificial and unselfish in her giving. So the Lord does not always send wealthy benefactors to our churches. I've heard pastors talk about someone coming to the church and putting it, God putting it on their hearts to write a check for fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollars or maybe even more. And I always sat amazed. I thought, wow, boy, that'd be fantastic. I pastored a lot of years. That never happened. Just never happened to me. Maybe my faith was not that strong. But I don't believe that was the reason. Because I just, and God uses wealthy benefactors. Absolutely. Thank God. And there are some that are so willing and so generous in their giving. And God has given them the means to give. And they obey God with that spirit of giving. But most of the time, it's an average person. It's a person on an average income that all of us together give what we can and do our part and God just blesses it and He just multiplies it and He supplies their needs and our needs. It is your blessing through mission giving. God is blessing you. And it is true, you can't. Beat God giving. Here's what Elijah said to this widow lady when she explained her plight. Now, I would find this hard to do, and you would too, but then we're not Elijah, and we weren't under divine orders. But as he tells, he tells her, would you give me some water to drink? And as she's going to fetch a cup of water, he says, oh, by the way, would you bake me a cake first? Now listen, how many of you, if you go to a widow lady like this that's, that says, I've got enough for one cake and my son and I are going to eat it and die, and you say, well, you go bring me one first. I couldn't do it, and I doubt you could either, unless we were directed by God. You see, Elijah said to her, you bring me one first, because if you do, if you do this first, then I'm telling you, God will keep your barrel full of meal and your cruise full of oil for as long as this famine lasts they won't run dry. And she believed the prophet of God. She obeyed the voice of the Lord and she brought him a cake first. And his need was met. She sustained him. And when she sustained him, then God sustained her. Because her crews always had oil the next day. Her barrel meal the next day. What a provision. And he is. Listen, it's, 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 it's about more than the provision. It's mostly about the provider. When Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah, when he left his servants, he said, my son and I will go yonder and we will worship. His son said, Father, where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide. You see, we have the blessed assurance of, uh, of provision because we have the blessed assurance of the 
provider. Our faith is not in the provision. Our faith is in God to always do what's best and always do what's right for his children. Hallelujah. Oh, the blessed assurance of his presence and his protection and his provision. Out of his riches and glory, all of our needs will be met. I'll have to, let me say this. We don't always evaluate needs the way God does. See, that's something we all have to learn. We don't evaluate needs like God does. A child can say to his mother, I need a cookie. Because a child, I call it child psychology. A child learns pretty quickly that the word need carries more weight than want. Isn't it amazing? I need. I need. Well, mom knows that the child doesn't need a cookie. And if the child has one, then she will determine when. And God does bless us in ways He doesn't have to. And we have been richly blessed in America in ways that many haven't been around the world. But the fact is, God determines needs based on His perfect knowledge, His perfect wisdom, His perfect love. And we sometimes perceive we have a need when really it's not. There's a greater need we don't understand, but God does. For He sees the need for spiritual health in us. And so we learn to pray, God, we don't fully understand, but we do know that You have promised to meet all of our needs as You define them according to the riches of Jesus Christ in glory. Quickly. The blessed assurance of His power. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Fear doesn't have a chance in that environment. Not the power of God, the love of God, and a sound mind. God's given us power. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, you go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto men all the world. What a promise. Zechariah 4 and 6, it's not by human power. It's not by human might, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Let me tell you, trouble in churches in America today, they're operating in their own strength. Operating in human wisdom. They're operating through human agency. They're operating, so many are through their own cunning. And the Spirit of the Lord is being crowded out of so many churches. The fundamental principles of God's Word are being jettisoned in evangelical churches. 
I won't belabor this point, but in the middle of 2020, George Barna did a study among evangelicals and determined that among the evangelicals surveyed, 41% of them did not believe you had to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to be saved. And he said, and we agree, that is deeply troubling. For the contention was, if we're just good enough, and if we do enough good works, then God will have a place in heaven for us. Among evangelicals, the, re the bodily resurrection is called in question more and more. Among evangelicals, a growing number do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life on this earth. And you see, when we call upon people to pray for America, what we really need to be calling upon is for the people to pray for revival in the church. If God blesses America, He'll do it through His church. He'll do it through His people. He'll do it through the work of the Spirit amongst believers just like you and just like me. Oh, I want God to bless America, but how is He going to do it? If the church does not experience a genuine revival in these last days, America cannot be blessed. But if indeed the church can return to the foundational principles of God's Word. And if we can depend not upon ourselves and not on our own ingenuity, but on the Holy Spirit of God, then we will see a mighty work done in these days for His glory and His honor. Give Him praise. Music, please. The disciples' power was not financial power because Peter stood at the gate called Beautiful with a lame man who had been lame from birth begging alms, and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. See, it's not the financial power that we need most of all. It is... Holy Spirit power. It was not uh, the power of knowledge because Acts 4.13 tells us these men were ignorant and unlearned. That didn't mean that they were idiots at all. It meant that they did not have letters. They did not have letters of the law. They were not trained as so many others were. So they weren't depending on their letters. So it wasn't the power of human knowledge. It wasn't the power of social status because these were peasants and not princes. God took the disciples. They were uneducated. They were possibly poor. We call them poor fishermen. They made a living doing it. But they weren't part of the upper crust. They were not part of the elite. They didn't have social standing. And they were tossed into prison again and again. And on one occasion when they 
got out of prison, they went right back to the temple and started preaching in the way they were commanded not to do. And when they were accosted, they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. We have to speak what the Lord has given us. Church, I thank God for higher education. I thank God for people who occupy high political offices that are Christians. I thank God for that. I thank God for perhaps those He's blessed financially and they share and give so generously to the church. But unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us first and foremost, and in the church will not see happen in these last days what we need to see. And if the church becomes a force for revival and a force for evangelism, that's when we will affect this nation in which we live. And I pray that that happens. It's not by power nor by might, but it's my, by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Fanny Crosby, in speaking of her blindness, said this, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. Because I might not have sung hymns of praise to God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She rejoiced in her words that when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be the face of my Savior. Oh, blessed assurance. She wrote from her heart perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning, people with great needs. Every one of us, Lord, from the pulpit to the pew, young and old. We have personal spiritual needs. Perhaps some are listening have never received you as their personal Savior. They don't understand what this blessed assurance really is and what it means. But Lord, you can touch their hearts this morning and bring them to a place where they accept you as their personal Savior. Lord, we have family needs, perhaps sons and daughters, grandchildren that are not saved that we constantly pray for. A great need for 
true, genuine spiritual revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, and throughout our communities, and yes, indeed, God, throughout our nation. I pray, Lord, touch every person here with the assurance that your presence is with them. Your hands of protection resting upon them. Your outreach hand of provision. And God, the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthen us and God use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Just a moment, we'll pray again. And you might want to kneel at your chair if you're able to do that. Or even if you want to come here and kneel, whatever you customarily do on a Sunday morning, I want you to feel free or just stand and worship. Maybe sing a chorus together. But if anyone listening does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's not complicated. Not complicated at all. Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. We shall be saved. Confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, we can know Christ as Savior. And in a moment, I'm going to pray such a prayer. If you'd like to know Jesus as your Savior, then simply confess Him. Simply say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. And the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed to cover your sins and to cleanse you and make you the child of God. And He's waiting. He's waiting for every one of us to cast all of our care upon Him because He cares for us. I believe every person listening and all those that are beyond, God has blessed assurance for every person who would simply turn his or her life over to Him. If you'd like to kneel and pray, if you'd like to stand and worship, but I'm going to pray this morning one more prayer together with you. Gracious Heavenly Father, our greatest desire is for the unsaved to come to Jesus. For Lord, when that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice. And Lord, we rejoice. God, I pray for that. I pray that sons and daughters would be born into the kingdom. That with this personal testimony of Fanny Crosby, they too could sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And indeed, what a foretaste of all that's to come this is. Blessed God in heaven, we worship You. We thank You for Your Word, for the promises in Your Word. God, we thank You and bless You. Hallelujah.